oh my gosh, they changed the navigation again. Welcome back to the Refactored Podcast, the show where we try and help ourselves and you suck just a little bit less each day. My name is Frank Cole. And my name is Chris Tonkinson. And this is episode 66, recorded on April 12th, 2022. How are you doing today? How do I sound, by the way? How do I sound? You How do sound I, no, not you. Just, I don't care about you. I said me. How do I sound? You sound just sultry and sexy uh, and delicious. awesome. Delicious. Just chocolatey and mmm. Just, yeah. just so, so. That's right. There you I'm, go. I'm loving this. Mm-hmm. Now we're getting in the mood. Oh, yeah. So I, um, I, I finally got a new microphone. I upgraded from the Blue Yeti to the, to the now apparently ubiquitous Shure SM7B. Apparently everybody oh, okay. and their mother uses this microphone now. And um, on your recommendation, so thank you for that. Mm-hmm. It was a bear to get running appropriately, though. So, you know, I apologize, audience, in advance if this sounds at all worse or, you know, lesser from from the previous setup. But I think we've got it all running here. Um, But uh, yeah, just this just peripherals are a pain in the ass. I'm just going to say all peripherals. It doesn't matter what the peripheral is. They all universally just are annoying. They're, There's they're the astronaut annoying. meme. Always has been. Always right? has been. Exactly. Yeah. The astronaut. It's, it's, it's exactly what it is. You know, I have had trouble with every anything you can plug into a computer. I've had trouble with mice, keyboards, yeah. printers. Goes without well, saying. It's because we USB get, hubs. It's because doesn't matter. But we can't even get the stuff that's inside the computer to work right consistently. So oh it should gosh. be no surprise that you plug you plug a bunch of random other crap into the holes and then it doesn't work the way you want it to. <laughs> Good. Interesting use of. Interesting color description there. It's one thing in the thematic, Frank. It's, it's thematic. I'm trying to keep the mood. Yeah, he is. There he goes. <laughs> right. Oh, man. Uh, so, um, you said you, you have a topic. I, well, yeah, there's something else. So, this is a little kind of tangential to what we're doing here, but I know you, uh, you for a long time, both of us at varying times over the years have done consulting work where there was uh, a good degree of travel. Mm-hmm. Have you ever played like the points game? Have you ever the done that? Like game. a hotel and oh. airline, like points, miles? I, I have, have done that it with game? the, yeah, I have. I've done it with the airlines only because those seem to be the only points that have real substantial impact on my life. You mm-hmm. get enough what are miles they're not actually points in that case but yeah. miles and then you get different statuses gold status which means you get on the plane sooner you can get free mm-hmm. upgrades um your seat can be in a better position so i have free I check have, bag things like have that free check yeah. Ba- yeah so that has been nice I, I have hotel points but they've never i've never done enough for them to really accumulate gotcha. uh the other thing that i do is uh, the credit card points, but that's the, usually it's the 1% cash back thing. Mm-hmm. I, I have an Amazon card. And so basically I get to buy, you know, some of my Amazon purchases go, you know, get right. discounted on a, on a routine basis, which is nice. That's, that's pretty cool. So what about you? Yeah. You, you, you obviously have a point. <laughs> point. Not, not really. <laughs> See what I did there. I totally planned that. Um, I mean, just a, we're, going away in the summer mm-hmm. uh, we have a we have a, a trip planned for our 10th and um the whole thing uh is points so a couple of years really? ago 
I yeah, a couple of years ago, I decided, okay, I'm going to go all in. I never played the game before, and I said, how much value really is there to this? And so, um, I picked a I picked an airline and a hotel that seemed to make sense to me. I I signed up for their you know rewards cards mm-hmm. and then booked direct through them. Use paid with the card and then kind of just balanced like any random purchase that I was going to put on a card. By the way, not a huge fan of credit, uh, but what I use the credit card for on a daily basis is so that I'm not distributing my debit card information mm. across the land. It's right? almost so like defense me, in depth. It's a layer. It is it's a security a, layer. It, yeah. For me, it's a security layer because of the liability protection you get with a credit card as opposed to a debit card, especially with like a credit union or something, right? It's mm-hmm. a different level of, of personal financial defense. And so that's why I use the cards at all. But, um, and then, so anyway, I would, I would book direct. I would only travel with those, uh, those, those companies. I'd use their cards for those purchases. And then other random purchases that I made throughout life, I would just pick which card I was going to use and try to balance the spend across them. And just to see what, it was kind of an experiment. And I thought a couple of years ago when I did it, hey, maybe I'll have enough points that I can, you know, I, it, we, can, we can travel free for our anniversary. And that's actually what happened, uh, it turns out. Um, so we'll be, we'll be jetting off, um, we'll be jetting off first class to an all-inclusive, you know, kind of a situation. It'll be a good time. Mm-hmm. Um, on points. Uh, and I, I will say, I, I don't know if it's because I didn't balance the spend well, or maybe, um, the value proposition is different using up just about all the miles that I had banked. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've still got a ton of hotel points left over after this. Wow. Well done. But yeah, it actually, it actually worked for me. I, did, I just, I didn't know what now it is also nice though, to get status with the, you know, if you get their card, you get status. So mm-hmm. like with the plane, you get priority boarding, hotels you get you have comped upgrades and things like that that's that's nice too Mm -hmm. um but yeah it actually it actually paid off i was very i was very skeptical going into this i was like i'm gonna have to travel anyway might as well perform an experiment at the same time and i really didn't expect it to amount to enough to make a meaningful difference Mm -hmm. um but to to disappear for a week um Uh, for 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 free that's like a pretty that's pretty significant yeah that's that's pretty awesome so um, you 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 burned all the miles on the on the airplane, but you said you're flying first class, so you flying first, made it yep. posh. You made yeah. it posh, and yeah. then you uh, how many then, how many times you get to celebrate your tenth, right? Uh, so like we're doing it up. I mean, ideally once, yeah. Like, <laughs> okay, like all right, point taken. <laughs> um, that's that's really cool, and so you burned all the point uh, all the miles on that, but the hotel points went a lot farther. They they got you the yeah. entire they got you the entire thing. Yeah. That's cool. Now I don't know nice. because of availability. Uh, I don't know like how so so I burned all of the miles, but we're flying first. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't. I, I burned like half the hotel points, but I don't like we didn't get the top tier. You didn't go top tier, sweet. But you could right? have because of availability. All of them. Yeah, there were there were a couple of other like external constraints on that one, and mm-hmm. so um, the availability wasn't such that I had the option. Otherwise, I would have I would have spent all the points I had and gotten the you know I would have I would have done it up. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, you know, whatever room was there, it's fine. It's you know, um, it's in a warm location, right? How are you going to complain? I mean, really, yeah, that's so, that's really all yeah. that matters for sure. Yeah, totally. Um, cool. Um, yeah, I don't know, I, and I, I I certainly haven't done a lot of travel, and that was over like. I think I've traveled now 
four times since, you know, in this, I, I, I have trouble saying post COVID, mm. uh, intra COVID, whatever. Um, since intra COVID, <laughs> since middle, late last year, I've only traveled like four times. The majority of this was all pre COVID, like an 18 month span. I was able to build up enough points to, to do all this. That's where the majority of them came from. Mm-hmm. And then of course, spending in between, because even though travel stopped, uh, you know, I'm still using the cards in between. So it's not a accurate, totally accurate assessment, but right. Um, yeah, it was kind of cool. So I don't know if anybody out there's like, uh, if you're traveling a lot, um, cause I know a lot of bigger companies, they'll give you like either a booking service or like some centralized app to use to, to just book all of your travel straight through. And then you don't have to file, um, the expense reports. Mm-hmm. I, I don't like that. A, those systems are abysmal to yeah. use. You don't have the flexibility and control over them. And to be honest with you, I would rather book direct with the card, get the points, and then file the the reimbursement. I find, and maybe it's just our systems at, at my company, but I find filing an expense less painful than booking through their oh, yeah. system. Oh, um, I mean, travel travel agencies, I, I feel like there are a couple of these human-driven services that are being... Um, I mean, the internet is eating everything. That's not my point. My point would be like, th- there are a couple of things that are really going the way of the dodo right now due to tr- due to um, in advancements in the internet technologies. I yeah. think travel agencies are one of them. The other one that I'm seeing too is um, real estate agents. Well, I think for, I think maybe, yeah, I think maybe like, like vacations and trips, there's still value in travel agent for helping you to understand what it is you want to do mm. and how you're thinking about it. But like, for yeah, like if you're thinking travel, about Disney world, if you think about Disney world, Disneyland, AAA has all kinds of just super deep expert insider type of crap that, you know, helps yeah. you plan and stuff like that. Yeah. But for business travel, like I'm just, I'm going to a city I've been to before. I don't need it's, I can travel. I can book the flight and the hotel in about a minute to right. do that. And it takes me longer than a minute just to start a chat with somebody to get in touch with, you know what I mean? Like there's just a certain, I'll just do it myself. I, like I hate to be, I don't, I don't, I, that's just what it is. I'll just mm-hmm. do it myself. Uh, you know, it's easier. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. Even, even if you're, you know, planning trips and vacations, you, case in point, you're going on your, you, you plan this anniversary trip, you figured out where you were going and, yeah, booked it. You didn't need to talk to anyone to find a destination. I mean, you can do yeah. all this crap yourself now. Um, yeah, with, with with some self help services. So um, uh, anyway, uh, uh, it's sidebar. Yeah, total total. It's all good. That's uh, that's what we do here. Um, I had an interesting article uh, that I came across. Uh, I will, I think I linked it to you. I will link it again so that uh, it's in front sure. of you for this. Um, really interesting stuff. The um, the FTC is doing a new enforcement style for uh, people who um, have deceptive digital data practices. Now we talked a couple weeks ago about what that is. We talked about um, crap. What was the name of it? The um, dark patterns. We talked about dark mm-hmm. patterns a couple weeks ago and just what that is and how Amazon had, uh, you know, some examples from them about the, you know, the way that they do it. Um, well, the FTC. Now has, that was, that was like deceptive UX. You're talking about data handling. So what do you this mean by is, that? yeah. So 
so this is um this is stuff do you remember the uh the Cambridge Analytica debacle with with Facebook I I remember that it happened I didn't okay. follow it So there was a company the, the, there was a company that had um add-ons or apps inside the Facebook ecosystem and it was collecting information and not being super upfront about what it was collecting and what it was doing and um it, it was this big, huge debacle and really brought the spotlight on just how much of your personal information you give away to basically, you know, third, third hand parties that, you know, you have no idea who it is or where it's going or what they're, what they're doing with it. Um, and so what they're doing now that they, they, they have, they have done. So people collecting data, they shouldn't have, which, which was, was a, a surprise thing. to the normies. Right. Just, let's yeah, let's call well, that what course, it is. That yeah. was only a surprise to the normies. Oh, yeah, you mean they know what? I picture like Ron Swanson saying, how do they know my name? And then the next scene <laughs> is him throwing his computer in a dumpster because Google <laughs> Images had his house on the satellite, you know, on the maps thing, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, right. You, you go far enough. With, I run into these conversations all the time with the security folks that I work with because you know, anytime these things come up, they go, well, duh. Yeah, I knew this. Yeah, yeah but not everyone knows all the crap you do, man. Like, that's just. <laughs> well, that's my point. Smart. It was, it was, a, I'm just clarifying. It was a surprise to the normies. Uh, yeah, right. Okay. So yeah. it was a surprise to the normies, but, uh, it, it, and, and, you know, because government and organizations are always, you know, slow on this stuff by, by their very nature, you know, they have been catching up with how to deal with this. And so, the initial approach was things like, um, you know, okay, you must destroy the data that you've collected and this big fine. Well, they've got a new thing they're doing, newer thing that they're doing now that I think is pretty dang clever, actually. Um, they are now actually, the, the, the penalty is not just destroying the data. It's not just a fine. It's you have to destroy the algorithms that have been created that you utilized to collect this information or to, you know, the, the things that you, the algorithms that you used in analyzing this organ, this information. So this have actually, they have they defined that? Well, cause I think I did hear something about this one, uh, about them extending to the algorithms. And I'm wondering, do they mean like, okay, you, because wasn't it a case where somebody, I, I don't remember any of the details, but somebody got caught hoovering up data from miners or something. And so they, they didn't just come in and say, hey, you have to delete the miners data on your platform, but you also have to delete the algorithms, which just makes you kind of crinkle your forehead because what do you mean by algorithm? Is that like, okay, you had all of this data, data from miners was included, from that, you built models and then applied those models. And so now you have to delete the models. Yeah. But the algorithm, like, how do you delete an algorithm? So I, this, it's going to be a term. This is, this is some terminology. And I'm using the term that's in this article that we will link in the show notes. You know, they talk about destroying algorithms. But what it actually is, is more what you're describing. So I've, I've collected this data illicitly. And then I have run this data through a, you know through a a model building process and i have come up with a you know yeah. you know fuzzy logic you know 
driven algorithm that is making decisions, recommendations, insights based on the illicitly collected data. So you right. delete the data. You also now have to delete the things that delete you built as yeah. a, uh, b that you built on top of that data. So in doing so, you have now, because I mean, the fine, if what you collected actually gets, you know, nets you more profit than the fine, net positively, like you, you, you'll take that as an operating expense. Um, yeah. You know, this actually hits it where it hurts. This is, no, you're not actually realizing the value of the data that you collected. And so I thought it was really indicative of the FTC sort of getting themselves um, up on, you know, what's actually going on, why these companies are interested in it and, and, and what they, uh, what they get out of it. Um, so, and seemed like a, you know, I, I, I've said this before. I'm generally pretty laissez-faire, stay the heck out of my stuff. You know, I'll stay the heck out of your stuff. And the government's there just to make sure that we play by those rules and, you know, don't punch each other in the face. This seems like a good step in that direction, a healthy step in that direction uh, to keep the, the, feet, the, the lines on the field clear and, and uh, eliminate some, some nefarious practices um, in the new. And for what age. it's worth, I mean, the model, the model is the model is derived data. That's all it is. And so right. I, for my part, I think it's completely, completely fair, acceptable, reasonable that, that if you've got, you know, it's a uh, fruit of the poison tree, right? If you've mm -hmm. got um, data that you collected that you shouldn't have, and then you built models on it, now you're operating those models. Yeah. You got to delete the data and you have to delete the models. Um, now I think any competent technology organization would be able to say, well, gee, that sucks because it reduces our source data by you know six percent and that's going to result in this decrease in efficacy of the models once we rebuild them on the then sanitized or cleansed data right, set that's that we the have other remaining side of this yeah um there is actually pain which is just here. there's actual pain. yeah there, there may be a little bit of pain there may be lossiness there i don't know how much robustness that additional data added to the models like i'm not deep into this i remember hearing about this i don't even remember what company it was or who it was or i don't remember um but it isn't. It is an interesting problem. But I think the answer is pretty clear cut. Um, Meaning, calling it an algorithm. Ah, ah that I, I, I'm generally dissatisfied with press coverage of technology. Well, I think that's a pretty well documented say, and experience. Yeah, so yeah. are all. So are um, all the other non normies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, which. So anyway, I'm not going to go there. But uh, so, so yeah, I think I think it's it's pretty clear cut. I, I don't. I don't see much controversy. So in this you think? One. But to so your point, you're saying clear cut. You think this is a good thing? Like you see this as so like like I see this as a, as as a good advancement of 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 government I, oversight and enforcement, which is why I brought this up. Because normally, anytime I see the government doing anything, I think, oh gosh, what are they going to screw up now? And and what, that's what are they going to break now? What are they going to break now? And this to me is oh okay. This actually kind of makes sense. This is yeah. I, I see this is good. I, and I, so, I don't know that I would ascribe uh, I don't know that I would ascribe a moral label to it and to say that it is good beneficial. Or, or bad. Not not what moral I will good, say, beneficial good. Beneficial, meh. I, I don't know that that's that's got some kind of uh, it, you're asking my opinion. My opinion is this is a logical, reasonable step. Mm -hmm. Sure. Okay. You know, uh, yeah. setting aside like good or or productive. I think it makes sense. Yeah. Um, and so I don't think there's, I don't think there's really 
and that's kind of my point, like moral or ethical or legal. Like I, I don't see how you mount a defense against this if you're inclined to do so. Like I don't see what approach you would take to try to overturn this or overthrow it or or prevent it. Like this just it's logical to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It, it does. It makes sense. Um, and now, I think the companies that are going to get hurt the most is if they have models where they, you know, and I'm not, I'm not a data expert here, so a grain of salt time. But um, if you've got the models, if you've constructed your processes in such a way that you don't retain all of the source data necessary to rebuild them over right. time, right? Then you can. This would be a loss for you, but I. My understanding is most of those systems, you really can't do that. They're not uh, operationally. A lot of these systems, it's I got new data. I need to rebuild the whole thing, not I got incremental new data and I can incrementally rebuild the model. That's that's not right. my understanding of the current state of the art for for ML. So um, and I could I, I could be wildly incorrect on that. Right. Um, and the other thing that I think about, uh, aside from the, the the loss of the data and <clears throat> Uh, you know, it, it's natural decay is if you have any kind of system where the, you have one or more of these processes working in concert, maybe in a daisy chain of, you know, this result feeds to this result, feeds to this result, ergo this, this full, you know, this very fuzzy, um, yeah. but, but thoroughly calculated value. If, if you are penalized and for using data in the say first link of that chain, I mean, you may have upset a, you know, a, a massive, massive mm-hmm. apple cart here. Um, yeah. But uh, I, I think you, you said it, you said it, you know, th- this is logical. It makes sense. Yeah, I know. That's why I pointed it out because holy crap, you know, a government it's bureaucracy doing something government that actually and it makes yeah, sense. made yeah. sense. I was whole, in a technical I, domain, in a technical I, domain, yeah. like film at 11. And the holy funny crap. thing. Okay. I, I avoided it earlier, but I'm just going to go there for a second. Like okay. that's the thing. If, if as a technologist, I look at how the government like legislates and regulates technology, we would say in a solutions oriented boardroom environment we would say that there is much there exists much room for opportunity right mm. we wouldn't say that there are a bunch of dumbasses and they get 98% of the things wrong and for the wrong reasons to boot we would say there's room for opportunity the funny thing is if you if you but but the the expectation is that like okay maybe they're getting most of the stuff right most of the time but if you talk to any technician anybody with a technical specialty they look at the regulation and the legislation coming out and they think, well, that's not right. So if most people with a specialty disagree with a lot, I'll just say, I'll just say some, like some to a lot of how the policy statements are coming down, then in, aggr- in, in aggregate, the only conclusion is that most of what they're doing is not what we need to be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so not, not to get too political here, but I, I don't think that's particular. I don't see that statement as particularly controversial. I don't see it like, as controversial either. I mean, they're, they're, they're politicians. They're not, they're not technical. And, uh, you also have, you're also, you also suffer death by committee. It, no, it, it is things. absolutely so, designed by committee. Yeah. And which, I'm not which suggesting it always that, sucks to matter, no matter what arena you're in. Yeah. Uh, and I, I don't mean to suggest that that everybody involved is either, you know, dumb or evil or some combination of the two. Oh, I am. Absolutely. It They're is all, to, totally. Absolutely. That's 
So that's I'm I'm I, what I'm I'm not saying that. Um, what but you're what not I, what I say not is that saying that either. I'm not saying it. Mm-hmm. Um, designed by committee, <laughs> right? That's I think right. the let the takeaway there is designed by committee. Um, and this one managed to get through. If this is if this is the sum total of the guidance coming out of FTC, then we got a we got a live one here. Like this is actually I think uh, forward yeah. progress makes sense to me. Yeah. I don't know. Now I, I will I will dock points to to them for using the term potentially coining and using and or using the term algorithmic justice. Uh, I, I am going to take some points algorithmic for that because ju- oh, that was a PR. There, there, that there, was are, a, there are ways. There was a consult a highly paid consultant that came up with that one. No, Somebody vomit, just vomit he just put his kid it. through college, or she just put her kid through college on coming up with that nonsense. Yeah, it, yeah. Well, that's just what I'm thinking. You know, some woke teenager came up with this because we put way too many adjectives in front of justice. How about just justice? Like, like it's you know, she wears a blindfold for a reason. Like, let's just you know. Is this right or wrong? Let's make a call based on the facts. That's I don't think re- there's a blind there, soul. That's a good, that's a good reference. There's really, there's, there really is not, I mean, that's by design. I, I don't understand you know, why we overcomplicate else. these things, but. With, and I, you know, I live in a, a really, a, a regulated industry and there's something else that's tangential to this sort of algorithms and data and um, analytics and, and policy, uh, which is this idea of, um, you know, call it, We'll just call it ML, right? Because I think that's the least window dressed term to use for our AI, you know, power. Yeah, machine future. learning, I think, is probably a ML. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's I think that's that. Uh, it's ML. That's great. AI. You could also say with that term, big but, ass switch statement or lots of if else. <laughs> I would well, also take either like, of those. <laughs> no, there. So I think because what you're talking about there is an expert system, and that there is there is a difference between if else and switches versus what's done in the ML space. Um, more accurately, it would be like multi-phase sigmoidal feedback. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it is different. That, anyway, the point is, though, it, it's actually that different. So a system that has switches and if else's, um, the reason I'm bringing this up is because like, I work in healthcare. If I have a system and it makes a recommendation, whether that's a recommendation to like uh, a payer, like an insurance company, or a clinician, or makes a recommendation to um, an insurance beneficiary, like a, like an actual patient. If it's a switch statement or an if else, if I can follow the logic, I make a recommendation. I know how I arrived at that conclusion based on the inputs, and I know what the output is. I can I can understand. I can explain how the system arrived at what it did. The problem in M- M- ML is is like breaking into these regulated industries, there is an explainability problem because mm. I put a whole bunch of data in, it produces a model. Now I put an input into that model and I get an output and I can't clearly explain how that output was arrived at, what things influenced that output. Um, and that's actually a barrier. I think there's there's currently there's like a barrier to innovation until we solve the the explainability problem. But to get the system to tell you or or to be able to introspect the model and understand why it arrived at the conclusion it did is something that I think is a little farther. Like that's 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 a little beyond us at the moment, and that's something that I think is being actively researched. I have not done any machine learning. I find this hard to believe. I mean, the system is processing the logic. Why can't we just simply look at 
at it as it's processing? Like, what's the why? why is well, because this not it's not possible. Well, it's not processing logic; it's processing data, right? So, right. so the way these systems are built, like, take a very, very vanilla traditional ML system as we would current, like for image recognition or something like sure. this, right? A very easy use case. What happens is they're designed, many of them are designed as some class of, of neural network, right? So mm-hmm. you have these computational nodes that um, model neurons in a brain. You've got so many of them next to each other. And then you have multiple, think of it like a, you've got a line of these things. Mm-hmm. And then you've got another line under that. And then you've got a third line under that. And your inputs all filter in at the top and your results come out the bottom. And then each row, each each individual processing node, each neuron in the in the analogy is linked to some of the ones above it and some of the ones below it, right? Forward and backward relationships. So I put in input data in, it goes through that layer, some number of intermediate layers, and then the final output layer. And then while I'm training it, while I'm building the model, I say, yes, for this input, that output was correct. And if it is, it reinforces, and this is where like this the sigmoid calculus comes in, it reinforces the relationships between the bits that were on and off between the input and the output. And how that gets back propagated through the network and how those weights are adjusted for a, a, a hundred thousand, a million, a billion inputs over time with this this trained reinforcement model influences what the answers are that it produces when presented with a novel novel input and that's why i'm saying when you so then at the end of all of that you may be able to draw a diagram and map out those neurons and map out the weighting of the relationships that that is the stuff of the model but it doesn't actually explain how it arrived how it got there you would have to look at the individual upvote downvote weighting process that happened in the training which is a which is that could be Hundreds of thousands of millions of little tiny individual decision it, points, which is what makes it, it so it has hard. to be. Otherwise, you yeah. don't have a robust model, right? And so, and so that's the problem. Like all you can, and maybe maybe the state of the art is beyond my understanding at this point. I'm like actively learning about this stuff right now. Um, but it's been the case for several years now that like we can we can we can show you our our training data. And we can tell you for each in each item in the training data what our feedback was during training. Mm-hmm. And we can show you the weights, but we can't really explain why the system, like what was it about this income, uh, this input that produced that output? And that that explainability problem is like a barrier to innovation in some of these regulated fields. Um, and I know it's actively being worked on. I don't. I don't know what the current like state of the art is, but gotcha. tangentially related to like policy and and ML because is it an algorithm? Is it a model? What do we call it? You know, and and I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yep, I got you. Um, so government got something partially right. Good for them. Right. And yeah. uh, you know, this is still a a big old messy uh, messy space. I um. I had an interesting experience uh, the other day. This is just a this is just like a random thought exercise. So uh, my wife and I ordered some. Um, we wanted to get some Dairy Queen. Uh, it was after dinner, and uh, I went to order online, and the app was wouldn't let me because it was ten minutes before closing. Uh, but I knew that the store was still open, so I went to the store. And uh, I get to the store and I see this massive 
drive through line. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, no, I don't want to sit in this stupid drive through line. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I have... I have always been a bit of a contrarian, my wife, my wife would say, um, you know, oh, the whole group is going to the left. Yeah, let's see what's out to the right. You know, that's always been my my mindset. Mm-hmm. So I go, OK, well, I could sit in this line or I can park and I can just see if the front door is open and walk in the front door. Sure enough, doors open. There's, there's yeah. no there's no quarantine policy. There's no mask. Nobody. And it's practically empty. So you had this giant line of drive through and nobody, I, I walked in the door, I ordered, I stood there Walk for five minutes the and, just, and I walked, walked out, out and I saw some of yeah. the same people that were sitting in the mm-hmm. line when I went in, were still sitting there. In fact, one guy, <laughs> three of the 10 cars had moved. One of the guys, yeah. There. And one of the guys saw me, I, I could just, I saw the pain and, and realization and self-disappointment right. on his face when he, oh, right. why oh, didn't I man. check that? You know, you yeah. know. <laughs> and, and, you know, the, 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 the salty, arrogant bastard in me just kind of, you know, <laughs> just Chuckled. kind of moment. Yeah. Yeah, a little chuckle, little there's a couple chuckle. of, there's a couple of fast food places, uh, where we live that are like that. You know, the, the, the drive through line is out around the corner into the intersection, off to the highway out into a farm somewhere. Mm-hmm. Like it's this ridiculous. And then you can just park and walk in and you're second in line. And you're second and the line, line is literally, I, I, you know, you time it, you, you driving past to go one way to drop a kid off. And then you're coming back and you see the same car. It's like a 45 minute line for drive through. You could just walk in, you're second in line, you're back out. Right. So, so, I mean, this just had me thinking, why do people do this? What is it about human nature that, that does this? Because we run into this as a, as an aspect of humanity, we run into this all the time in application development, in the, in the, in UI and UX, in decision-making, in getting people to, in getting buy-in, um, and so I was just, I had just been thinking about this and I, and I drew a couple, you know, basic conclusions. First of all, change is hard. Uh, you know, there, there is a, you know, the mental taxing switching cost of, especially coming out of quarantine, everyone's been doing drive-throughs. And so that's just sort of the pre-arranged, preconditioned behavior. And so that's just what you're doing. Sometimes you don't even think about it. And that's, and I think that's part of the problem. So you could have easier route and it could even be a big obvious sign that says this will be easier than what you're doing today, but I don't know it. I've never, I, I, you know, I haven't done it. I'm, you know, and, and my brain, I didn't even see the sign. You know, I didn't even see the sign. I just went the way that I always go because it's habit. And then there's the, there's also the natural switching cost of this is different and change. And I don't like change yeah. and, and, and there's an unknown to it. Even though you're telling me it's easier, I don't know it's going to be easier because I haven't done it yet. You know, how about how about uh, how about scheduling meetings for 30 or 60 minutes by default, even 30 minutes by default when it could really should really be a 10 minute discussion, 10 minute chat. So instead of instead of three people in a breakout for 10 minutes, you've got nine on a call for 30 minutes, filling up the extra time with a bunch of opinions that you don't care about. Right. Not to be like rude about it, but (laughs) like. Yeah, some people's voices matter in certain discussions, and some don't. And I think the people that don't, they don't need to be there, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not—it's not because I don't like them. It's not because I don't value their opinion where it is appropriate or relevant. It's that I respect their time enough not to yank them into something that's not relevant for them. Yeah, yeah. So, um, 
so I was thinking about how you how you might solve you know dealing with this problem elsewhere you know in in my it, like how would how how would because I mean Dairy Queen would obviously want people to come in the store because they can service more people simultaneously it gets them more money so yeah. as a business they actually have an incentive to to actually curb this this um this fixed behavior and so okay well how would I do that if I'm running this store well uh big obvious sign that says that the you know that the place is open that the you know that the walk-ins are open and that you can mm-hmm. come in and you can sit down uh you could even have something about the wait time both for the drive through and the wait time inside um you know i'm thinking like digital screen number of minutes kind of thing to to properly illustrate the benefit the cost benefit analysis you know, that it, that a person can do, you know, to know one, know the options there to know that it's, that it might be, that it might be better. Um, and you know, so some of that, I think it's just, it's just with that specific example may just be COVID lockdown. Happening. Oh, I mean, uh, so like, I'm, I'm contriving not, this example yeah, out yeah, for the sake no, of but, a dialogue, but yes, but what you're I mean, saying you're right. though, is like, is this a, is this a, uh, let's just like take it a little farther than like, is this a, a product design problem is this a marketing problem mm-hmm. is this mm-hmm. like what class in your mind what class of of problem is this i think this i mean this is a human problem i can see this on all of the fronts that you're that you're mm-hmm. talking about there um yeah i um i recently had a a, a discussion um i i recently tripped and fell into a into a a discussion between um a debate between two two tool tool sets um mm-hmm. and this is this is very much a okay well i like a steel hammer okay well i like a you know carbon fiber hammer you know mm-hmm. and you know holy war ensues tab versus spaces right. is kind of the space that this was that this was yeah. in and um you know one party had you know very very strong opinions about their use because, you know, I've used this one. I know it. I like it. It's comfortable. And that's what I want to use. And it, you know, made that point abundantly clear, which was, you know, possibly true, but completely sidestepping the potential well, that's, pros of that's the That's doing the other what side. I've always done because I've always done it, not looking at what's the best tool for the job. Mm-hmm. Right. You know? Exactly. But that's what people do. I mean, people yeah. do that all the time. And so we run into this problem in sales and marketing. You're trying to get somebody to buy something new, try something different. Well, okay, but you haven't done it before. It's new. It's different. You know, that's a, you know, that's a hurdle you've, you've got to get over. And then in product design, we run into this too. Um, Facebook is, you know, famously, uh, a, you know, on the, on the receiving end of this, every time they change their UI, the entire Facebook Community just goes, oh my gosh, they changed the navigation again. You know, um, so this is, I I think this is a pretty ubiquitous problem across everything. Um, And when it's it's like a system one, system two thing, like you're not constantly, the the human root of it is that you are not constantly reevaluating every decision you make. You don't have the cognitive bandwidth (laughs) to do that. And so- most of this, and I think what what what's true is that most of us, most of the time, are on autopilot for all this stuff. And it really, it's and it's not even reasonable to suggest that we're always reevaluating these decisions because again, we don't have the cognitive emotional bandwidth to take all that in at once. Right. Um. 
yeah, and I think you're right. It is it is just a human problem. Right. It's a human problem that we that we deal with all the time. And so my my key takeaway in in bringing this up was that we you you can't discount it. In fact, it has yeah. to be the foremost concern. You're not going to get you want a person whether you're getting them to make a decision about a tool that they use or you're getting a customer to buy a product or you're getting a user to accept a new navigation flow or a new feature. It doesn't matter. You have to get over the initial hurdle is always getting them to into a place where they are mentally prepared to accept the alternative. And that means addressing whatever their current, um, addressing them where they are at. I have the tool I have and I like it and it works. Counter to that is something very similar to what you said. Okay, well, that's doing what you've always done because you've always done it. You know, there might be something better on the other side. Let's at least consider that. Okay. Yeah. All right. Now let's talk about this other new thing. Let's think about it in that light. Um, well, I think it's, I think it's especially like it's, it's not a problem that people take the mental shortcuts because that's what we are designed to do physiologically. Right. It does become a problem on a team setting where somebody says, oh, hey, look, let's not autopilot this. And then you kind of keep doubling down on it right. um, without without taking the opportunity to say, oh, hey, this is something that I should reevaluate. Um, right. I think you got to I think you just got to bring people along for the journey when you see that happening. Like, no, like. Let's let's actually step out of the day to day and think about this with a broader perspective or, you know, whatever it is. Um, and it, the community, it's it's communication. Yeah, that, that fixes it, communication. Yeah, yeah. you 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 stepped right over. I think the big punchline here, it's that you got to bring them along for the ride, but they have they have to willingly you, you're bringing them along for the ride. They have to willingly get in the car. So you've you've got to get them on board with, hey, yeah. let's try something new. Mm hmm. Let's at least explore something new. Let's Wait. be open and willing to to try something new. You've you've got to break you, you've got to break that that habit. They, and you start with why, right? right? I don't remember whose 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 book that was, but you you got to start with why. Um, otherwise, you're just going to get that, exactly. You, you have know, to start with where they're at, what they're thinking. Yeah. You have to address whatever their immediate. You know, okay, so like all those people, the Dairy Queen thing. All those people yeah. were in line. Why? The store is right there. It has a front door. Why are you sitting in this giant line? Why are you yeah. not at least checking to see if the store is open? These are all but for questions. some small, some small percentage of them. It's because they have an infant in a carrier who got to sleep on the road and I'm not moving that sure. child. So help me God. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I don't have an answer. For, just as a, I'm not. Yeah. No, but I'm you, just but as that's, a joke. You know? but that, no, but that's true though. Like yeah. you would need to look at, you need to look at those people individually and come to an individual, you know, you will get a range of reasons, but through that range of reasons, you can come up with a game plan. This is very, actually, this is very much a, a, a macro of, of what machine learning is. You know, it takes these different scenarios and these different decision points and you come up with, okay, well, you know, that's an outlier. I can't do anything about that. You know, this is, there is a commonality through a multitude of these people. I'm, and like you, I think a lot of it's just COVID habit. Okay, so I can address that by, you know, doing X, Y, Z, but you have to, you have to understand where they're at and where they're coming from so that you can actually get them, break them out appropriately. Cause otherwise, if you don't, yeah. you're, you're not going to get the, you're, you're not going to get the traction. And I thought this was really relevant to the audience for, for 
two reasons. One, we're always trying to convince people to do, you know, we're always convincing people to do new stuff because, you know, there's always new tech, there's always new things to be developed, new features, et cetera. Two, this also concretely explains why engineers are always such a pain in the ass arguing with each other about tools and holy wars of tabs versus spaces because we, broadly speaking, because it's not true in all circumstances, but generally that part of our brain is kind of switched off. When you become an engineer, you're always trying to solve the problem. You're always trying to solve the right problem in the best possible way. And once your brain starts working that way, you are naturally inclined to look at things and go, "Mm, that's not the best way. I'm going to go check over here and see if it's the best way. Like my Dairy Queen thing. This is a yeah. long line. I think I might be able to do better than this long line. Oh, look at that. I did an experiment and it worked. You know, so, but because right, we but do the that. Curse of, the curse of knowledge is the bane of our existence, right? Because yeah. because what happens is we, and, and let's let's get real for a second. It's a different skill set than a lot of other areas within the organization. Right. Not to say uh, this is, look, I am not saying that all of the other people in the company who are non-engineering are dumb. I'm not saying they're not strategic thinkers. I'm not saying they don't know how to plan or analyze. That's not my point. So before all the hate mail rolls in, just know that I qualified this statement. We are used to being very logical in terms of thinking a few steps ahead. Right. So because what we do, and I'm just to level set expectations, I'm coming from like full stack web developer perspective with this one, right? I am used to thinking about how my how I'm going to structure my CSS to make sure that we're actually taking advantage of the cascading nature without creating a maintenance headache and how do we actually have things that are applied to sensible markup in the way that's readable and and how that gets interpreted by things like screen leaders and 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 screen readers and and how we're avoiding the flash of unstyled content and how we're making sure that the page renders appropriately we don't have too many repaint events and uh, reflows and and then south of that all the way down the stack through the database down to thinking okay algorithmically like this is going to keep these things warm in the in the ALU's cache while this is working on that like we're thinking all of these levels of abstraction at once while we're building stuff and then also thinking about how we solve for the thing we did last week that was suboptimal and how we're going to solve for this other thing or leave our foot o- leave the door open so that this other thing that we get signed assigned next week is going to be easier in light of what I do here today and we're thinking across time we're thinking uh all all up and down the stack all at once this is this extreme analytical process that goes on a lot of engineers are like pretty good at playing chess for the same reason, right? Because there's just a lot of variables. It's very, what happens, and this is back to my curse of knowledge thing, like the engineers, so we're not, we're not very good at people skills, right? Uh, generally speaking, that's not a strong suit, but the curse of knowledge makes it so like, yes, if you take this as axiom and with this understanding, then it follows that this. And if that is the case, it follows that this. And if that is true with this other axiom, then we can arrive at the conclusion of whatever. The problem is we've thought it through. We're at whatever, and we don't often have patience to make sure that everybody took the trip with us. Mm-hmm. We just start from whatever. When somebody says, conclusion. well, no, when somebody says, well, no, maybe not, we say, obviously, whatever is the conclusion. Right. And we don't, <laughs> and we don't we, actually take the steps, right? You don't we actually don't actually the take the steps, the ride. take people for the journey. And that's, that's kind of my point there. Like it's, 
and it's tough. It's a tough. It's an easy trap to fall into to mm-hmm. just to just jump to the conclusion, and then from that conclusion to another, to another, to another. Yeah. And we don't always do that right because right. some of the assumptions or conclusions intermediate are wrong. Right, that mm-hmm. we make along the way, mm-hmm. which is why it's so important that you take people on the journey because you're going to have gotten stuff wrong too. Yeah, uh, and I will only add to that the um, this is also why engineers are constantly trying new things. There's always this not invented here syndrome, um, you know, always wanting to use the new hotness because yeah. they're always trying to solve the, uh, the problem optimally. And every new language, yeah. every new stack purports to solve the thing that you're dealing with. Some today other little better, thing, a little faster. more optimally. And so, right. let's and so we burn it up, all to the ground and rebuild so burn and it go. all to the ground and rebuild it. Cause you always want to have the best, most optimal solution. And so like it works that's how engineers are dumb, you know, is you yeah. know, because, you know, yep. engineers are people too. And, and they, you know, that's, you know, Perfect the framework's great on the, the optimizing, but because of that, they end up making, mm-hmm. they end up over making decisions that they don't need to. And that's where, that's where the dumb comes from. So, all right. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm sensitive to the time here. Uh, we got about 10 minutes. Do you want to do mailbag? Yeah, we can do, we can look at the mailbag. All right, um, let's do some mailbag. So today, today we have feedback. Uh, feedback comes to us from Dave. Hi, Dave. Um, Dave asks, do you feel that micromanagement of teams impacts their productivity? <laughs> oh, Jesus. Do you feel that micromanagement of teams impacts their productivity? First of all, what a leading softball. Like that's a <laughs> grapefruit hanging out there, right? Thanks, Dave. Appreciate that. Frank, I'll give you, I'll give you a first stab at that one. I mean, holy crap. Yes. Jeez. <laughs> Uh, you, so let's, so let's just, let's arrive at the conclusion there and say yes. And let's change the question to, instead of, do you feel, how do you feel that? Why? You know, the why. Micromanagement. Why does micromanagement impact productivity? Yeah. Cause holy crap, does it ever. And it's, I, I, I see, I see two, I see two dimensions of it. Um, one, if you're, if you're constantly, you know, if you're constantly focused on doing the problem the way that the micromanager boss wants things to get done, you're not actually looking at the problem. You're actually you're not actually applying any decision making, which actually makes it easier to screw something up because um, you're not actually thinking about it. You're oh, just that's a exec- really good point. You're just executing. It, it eliminates critical you. thought, and there are other things that you lose when that happens. That's a good point. I, I didn't thought of that. Right. So there's there's that there's that side of it, and then. On the on the other side of it, you just it's it's you you don't have you don't have any agency authority ownership of what you're doing, which means you're not emotionally invested. It's not yours. It's not something you really hang your hat on, which is really uh, disheartening. And so you're not actually putting forth even in that micro even in the even in that non critical. You know, it's almost you could almost think it's almost brainless because I've got mm-hmm. this micromanaging person telling me what yeah. to do. I, I just need to do it. I don't even think about it. You'd almost think that would be easier. But because you don't have any sense of ownership that you, you there's no there's no energy, there's no heart in it. Work is actually the, the, the work output is lackluster. And then, of course, this is all on top of it's just an oppressive feeling and nobody likes it. And you will just. I mean, your churn rate's going to go through the roof. And so there's there's so many layers of expense to it. Yeah, all of that, all of that. I think my my first reaction was the first thing, 
uh, or the last thing that you said. Just um, just pushing people away and, and losing you're gonna, folks. You're going to push people away because they're not interested in, in that environment. You're going to lose people. And then the constant churn, uh, I'm thinking that the macro scale, that churn is going to be the biggest problem to your productivity. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that you're not growing or developing your people, right? So kind of back to your first point where you don't have, you're just eliminating the requirement for critical thought then you have no path for growth. You have no path as a, as a, as the person being micromanaged, you have no path for growth or exploration or, or definition or enhancement advancement. There's nothing there. It's just this. The other thing I think of is the opportunity cost. Uh, If you think about the team writ large, we're thinking about all of the consequences of productivity lost by the employee, by the, the managed in Mm -hmm. that, in that situation. Mm -hmm. Uh, the greater organization loses because of the manager as well, mm-hmm. because like if you think about kind of the traditional way to think about it, like, and let's just take a really squashed like org chart. Let's say you have contributors and managers and executives, right? Contributors, their thinking is probably on the order of a couple of weeks, and your managers, hopefully, they're thinking on the order of months, and hopefully, your executives are thinking on the order of years right. into the future, right? Um, not to say that managers should not think in terms of years or that contributors shouldn't either, right? That's not, I'm not, that's not the point I'm making, but, but let's just say that's kind of the, broadly speaking, that's the kind of horizon line speaking, that you're operating from on a right. day-to-day basis is right. what you're saying. Right. So, so if your manager is busy, is, is busy micromanaging you to the nth degree, they're spending a lot of their time doing that and they're not spending their time solving the the higher order challenges and and preventing problems tomorrow this mm-hmm. is this is a very uh, uh, this is a classic case to fall into where something goes wrong and for whatever reason you're you know something goes wrong at 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 the at the contributor level and a manager has to come down you know come down right even that language is fraught for a whole bunch of reasons but the mm-hmm. manager has to step into the situation and help fix it because we're, we're, we're putting out yesterday. We, we started a fire yesterday. We didn't realize it. It's burning today. Managers got to come in and help, right? Now you're burning people out to one of your, you, the point that you made. Like you just, nobody's going to want to work in that environment forever. But while the manager is there working down in the weeds, trying to put out that fire, they're not preventing tomorrows. Mm-hmm. And again, back to the, kind of the time horizon thing. And because they're not going to prevent tomorrows, now you're going to have another fire tomorrow and you're going to perpetuate that cycle and burn more people out, which means more fire start, which means more micromanagement, which means less time preventative, less time big picture. Um, and then you lose more beta brand. It's, and you just, it's, it's a, it's a really, it's a very easy cycle to fall into and it's very dangerous when it happens. A, a simple way of putting it is that if, if you're so focused on what you're on, on actually telling your team each and every little thing they have to do. What are you, what's not getting your attention instead? You know, what are the things that are, that are, you know, falling off of your desk? It's the opportunity cost. Yeah. yeah of like the manager. That, that's, right. that's really, and I can tell you one of the things hiring. Yeah. Cause we're like, why, yeah. why are you micromanaging is because you didn't do a good enough job hiring. I'm sorry. Mm. Like, well, you're just could. Okay. So you're in, in this case, you're talking about if you have a, uh, less than effective employee and they require. Right. Yeah. And they're right. obviously, there are obviously managers just that just micromanage. They're going to do it anyway. Right? They're good. But how many, how it's, many, that's how a bad many manager heavy, as opposed to a bad employee. There's a, you know, 
Right. Both, no, both and, and there is both. There happen. is absolutely daylight between the two, and two things can be true at once. One hundred percent. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. that's absolutely accurate. Um, how many? And we'll say bad managers micromanage, right? Let's just can we agree? Oh yeah, bad managers. Yeah, okay. Micromanaging is a how is many a facet how many of micro bad managers? How many micromanagers have you ever known that hire well? I don't think right. I don't think those Venn diagrams overlap at all. I see what you're saying. So the fact that so micromanaging is an indication of bad management, and if I'm a bad manager, I'm not going to hire well. And that's going to lead to more and bad it's going hires, to perpetuate, which is going to lead to more perpetuate the the thinking that I have to micromanage. I have these people; right. they're just they're 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 not producing. I have to be on them constantly. I have to tell them exactly what to do. No, you got to get some. Ba- and and by the way, it's not just hiring; it's also firing. Right? Oh, you got people that aren't pulling yeah. their weight. Then maybe you need to have a tough conversation. Maybe you need to find someplace else for them to be. Um, and so I think, but again, I don't see much overlap in my own experience looking at micromanagers and then looking at their hiring and firing decisions. Both things are bad. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. It's micromanagement to me. I guess what I'm trying to say in a more eloquent way is micromanagement to me is a strong predictor that that person does not hire and fire well. Whatever the right. causality is aside. I think I think there's a predictive well, and, there, I mean, a strong you could, correlation. You could bump this up a layer too. Like if you have a micromanager, then that that manager's manager should be aware of it and should be. Oh uh, yeah, then it's it. turtles all the way. It turtles up. all the way up. I mean, <laughs> normally, the, the, what usually happens is that you know the leadership doesn't necessarily suck. It can like you can you yeah. can have this the, you can have this suckiness turtle all the way up, but usually what happens is there's a, a, a visibility gap where yeah, a person through the org structure uh, by dint of, of their tenure with the company, they've just carved themselves a nice little niche and they're sort of left to their own devices. And well, this news I mean, doesn't make even, its way up. That, that happens yeah. a lot too. So. Or, or let's say you've got like a really deep org chart and let's say, let's measure bad, let's quantify badness of an employee, right? Mm-hmm. Can, let's, can we just say that there is a quantifiable yeah, measure, objective factor. linear measure, right? General suck so, factor. So let's say that every manager allows 10% suckage from their reports. Okay. Okay, so I allow 10% suckage in my direct reports. Mm-hmm. And if they're managers, they allow 10% suckage from mm. their baseline to their reports. And all of a sudden, uh, if you know, you don't have to go many levels down before people at that level just suck because mm-hmm. the the incompetence or or incapable whatever it is is tolerated at each yeah. level and that's a really strongly compounding effect there yeah you talked about hiring being the most important thing i would actually say firing is is a step above hiring because you have both, i think both yeah just I mean, no, both but are I, I'm, no but i am specifically saying firing but you think over firing, firing. Is more. yes yeah i am because a toxic a bad egg a toxic individual has such a nasty compounding effect yeah. you know, across the team that like it, it just, it, it disheartens everybody and it ruins the, 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 the culture, the mojo of the team. Um, and you, you, you make big, you make big gains, big impacts, positive and negative if you're not careful, but you make big impacts with your terminations much bigger than your than your hirings now, th- like they're both like it, it, I'm talking like 
This is the Joker. Is, it's about sending a message. It's, this is this is I am talking a distinction here of 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 the difference between uh, Olympic runners. Okay, you know it's like silver, half a second, gold. You know, yeah. greatest guy in the half world. A second, never heard half of a it, second would you know? be a long time. Too, exactly, right? that would be like, a long time. But I think my only counters are very small. I don't, but yeah, I I am go- I am actually going to disagree. I think, and I think we can agree to disagree here. That's fine. Okay. Um, I will put them on even footing, a dead heat, because if you're not good at hiring, you can fire well, and then you're going to bring in somebody who sucks just as much to backfill the person, Mm. and you haven't actually solved the problem. Um, Mm. I have seen, and I think you probably have as well, you've watched people that are not great at their jobs stay, and the only obvious, the only seemingly obvious reason for this is their manager doesn't have confidence about finding somebody better. Right. And that's not how to run a that's team. That's not good. Mate. Like that's, it's not that's, good. That's a, that's a red, that's all kinds of red flag. Yeah. And I mean, you got, I think you got to trust the market. Um, yeah. I think you got, you got to trust the market. Dave, a more thank that. you so much uh, for your, for your feedback. We appreciate the question and we encourage more. Uh, anybody that wants to send it, we've got uh, an open inbox at feedback at refactor.work. You can look at uh, back episodes, archives, show notes, recommendations at, at, at uh, refactor.work. Find Frank online at hotcoals.com, K-O-E-H-L-S, and myself at tonkinson.com. This has been episode 65, recorded April 66. 66, I apologize. April 12th, 2022. Thanks a lot, Frank. See you, buddy.